0: class presentations. Remember class presentations? Once in a while out of nowhere your teacher looks out at the class with a sadistic gleam in her eye and, uh, and she declares that the next unit is going to close. The end of the next unit will involve class presentations. Now there are always a few weirdos like me at that moment who get very excited, right? We love speaking. We love being up front. We consider it the greatest thing in the world to collect an easy A for doing what we normally do anyway, which is making everybody be quiet and listen to us. But most people aren't like that. Most people, when your teachers had class presentations, they they were horrified and sad or angry. What's the number one top fear? Survey after survey shows number one top fear among most human beings, most adults. What is it? Public speaking—it's the biggest fear of all—and—and and the only thing worse than making a speech up front is knowing that you're waiting for an entire unit that you're going to have to face that gauntlet at the very end. If—if um, if you weren't scared of that, maybe—maybe maybe you were an athlete. Uh, if you were a football player, you got a little bit of a similar feeling when your coach would say, "Into practice today, we're going to do the Oklahoma drill." And I was like, oh. Now, if—if you, if you don't know, it's the most wicked, wonderful sadistic thing in all of sports. It's just this one-on-one embarrassing, difficult, hard, threatening thing. And you're sitting there, one, your palms start sweating and you think, oh, my coach is mentally unstable, right? The point is, you can all relate, we can all relate. There are these times where your leader tells you that he or she has planned an activity for the group and you become absolutely terrified as a result. Jesus' disciples understand that feeling. Open your Bible please, Mark chapter 10. Mark is the second book in your New Testament. Go to Mark chapter 10. Turn there and let's read verses 32 through 34. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem. Um, This takes place right after Jesus and the disciples have left Galilee for the last time. They have gone down uh, through Judea and across the Jordan River into Perea. So, they are on the east side of the Jordan River. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them going up to Jerusalem. Disciples were astonished, but those who followed him were afraid. Taking the twelve aside again, he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him. Son of Man, by the way, is Jesus himself. That's who he's talking about. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him, and he will rise after three days. Stop there. As we headline in our notes, if you're if you're online with us, uh, please find the place on your electronic device where you can access the notes. You can do that if you're in the auditorium. Open up the bulletin; you'll see in there the headline: Jesus again predicts his passion. This is a recurring theme in the last half of Mark, and each time is is unsettling for the disciples. Every time Jesus predicts his his suffering, death, resurrection it is very unsettling for the disciples. They are unsettled because for them heading up to Jerusalem is terrifying. You see look up here at the map. It is no secret that Jesus has turned Galilee and Judea and Perea upside down. The crowds are huge. The numbers of people following him, disciples they keep growing and growing. Even Gentiles keep turning to him, believing in him as Messiah. It is also no secret that on the whole. The Jewish religious leaders who are centered in Jerusalem, they hate Jesus. In fact, they're actively plotting to kill him as this story unfolds. Now, no one except for the Sanhedrin and Jesus uh, knows their exact plan, but everybody can feel the tension in the air. The tension is thick. FOR JESUS TO WILLINGLY STEP IN THE DIRECTION OF THE JEWISH RELIGIOUS COUNCIL, THE SANHEDRIN, AND and THE ROMAN LEGION IN JERUSALEM, THAT IS AKIN TO THROWING A MATCH IN A ROOM FULL OF gunpowder. NOTICE THERE ARE TWO DISTINCT REACTIONS TO THIS TENSION. THE BIG GROUP OF FOLLOWERS IS FEARFUL, INDICATED BY THIS GREEK WORD, IT IS A FORM OF PHABOS, THE GREEK WORD FROM WHICH WE GET OUR WORD, WHAT, WHAT DO YOU THINK? WHAT IS THE ENGLISH WORD? PHOBIA, YEAH, MEANING AN EXCESSIVE FEAR OF SOMETHING. However, the reaction of 12 is indicated by a really strange word, thambeo. Here's what's cool. thambeo is not a Greek word. Mark borrows this term from outside of classical or Koine Greek. This is actually a word that's from a language root that is, is, is the same root from which our, our tongue sprang. Uh, it's Indo-Germanic from which our English eventually would come. It's, it's from the root word dahabah which means struck um, as if as if by uh, a nearby lightning strike in a thunderstorm. Every time we see the hobbit used in the Indo-Germanic uh, times, it has to do with a thunderstorm. Have you ever been where lightning struck very close to you? It, it, it didn't hit you, but it struck close, and the clap of thunder was immediately, and really loud, <laughs> you know, like that. You know that feeling, right, that awful feeling, that's THAT'S DAHABA. I SERIOUSLY THINK THE BEST TRANSLATION OF THAMBEO WHICH COMES FROM DAHABA WOULD BE THUNDERSTRUCK. I THINK THAT WOULD BE THE BEST TRANSLATION. ASTONISHED IS FINE. W- WONDERED THOSE ARE FINE. BUT THUNDERSTRUCK gets CLOSEST TO THE IDEA THAT THE HOLY SPIRIT INSPIRED IN MARK. ANGUS YOUNG WAS ON A FLIGHT uh, ACROSS EUROPE WHEN ANGUS, THIS BRITISH fellow, HIS JET WAS uh, STRUCK BY LIGHTNING. It was a terrifying experience, even though they landed without any casualties, as jets almost always do. Angus, however, was really concerned as he was on that flight. And as he was on the flight, as they continued the flight, he scribbled out a quick poem. He called it Thunderstruck. Um, I looked around and knew there was no turning back. Thunder. My mind raced, and I thought, what could I do? Thunder. And I knew there was no help, no help from you. Thunder, sound of the drums, beating in my heart. Now, Angus was part of a band you may have heard of called ACDC. Um, and, and his bandmates loved that poem, and they recorded it as a song. However, they added very sleazy lyrics to Angus's poem, so we will not be playing it here. Um, now, the, look, at the line, look at the line about no help from you. That seems especially fitting for Jesus' disciples. You see, from their perspective, Jesus just, he just keeps making things worse. Look, look at his recitation of some of the things that are going to happen to the Son of Man. This is enough to chill the blood. Go, go through the horror of this list. The Jewish religious authorities are going to hand Jesus, the Son of Man, over to the Gentiles. The Messiah? The Jewish Messiah, the prophet's promise, would one day set up a kingdom of peace to rule the world. How could he be submitted to Gentiles and they will mock him, spit him, flog him. This is, this is horrific. This is unthinkable. The king of the world being spat upon. And Jesus predicts they will kill him. And he will rise after three days. Now the 12, they are still blind to the resurrection. This idea makes so little sense to them. They don't, they don't even seem to hear it. But the death part, oh, that they understand. You see, it's not merely concern about Jesus that is moving them here. Yes, YES, THEY ARE SURELY BEFUDDLED BY THIS UNEXPECTED AND SEEMINGLY NONSENSICAL TURN IN PROPHECY HANDED OVER TO GENTILES. YES, THEY ARE UPSET ABOUT LOSING THEIR RABBI, BUT POSSIBLY TO THEM THE MOST BOTHERSOME WORD IN THIS IS THIS WORD RIGHT HERE, WE. WE, JESUS SAYS, ARE GOING UP TO JERUSALEM. NOW, THESE GUYS KNOW EZEKIEL. THEY KNOW ZEPHANIAH. THEY KNOW THAT that IF EVIL PEOPLE STRIKE THE SHEPHERD, THE SHEEP ARE GOING TO BE SCATTERED and, AND TAKEN AS prey. Being Native American, my family rather enjoys American Indian jokes. One of my uncle's favorite jokes, favorite all time jokes was this, Lone Ranger and Tonto rode up over a rise and suddenly were astonished to find in front of them 5,000 angry Sioux warriors. The Braves all looked up and saw the Lone Ranger and Tonto up on the cliff and they started shaking their shields and yelling their war cry. The Lone Ranger turned to Tonto and he said, what should we do, Tonto?" And Tonto waited a moment, and then he said in reply, what's this wee bit, white man? (laughs) My uncle loved that joke. All right. We are going up to Jerusalem. Huh? What's this wee bit, Jewish man? We we understand why the disciples are terrified. We do. But they shouldn't be. Folks, we understand, but they shouldn't be thunderstruck because unlike the Lone Ranger, Jesus can conquer anything. Three times he said he's going to conquer death. But Jesus' followers still don't get it. Look at the very next section, go to verse 35, verse 35. Yes, I know. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask you. What do you want me to do for you? He asked them. They answered him, Allow us to sit at your right and your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We're able, they told him. JESUS SAID TO THEM, YOU WILL DRINK THE CUP I DRINK, AND YOU WILL BE BAPTIZED WITH THE baptism I AM BAPTIZED WITH, BUT TO SIT AT MY RIGHT OR LEFT IS NOT MINE TO GIVE. INSTEAD IT IS FOR THOSE FOR WHOM IT HAS BEEN PREPARED. WHEN THE TEN DISCIPLES HEARD THIS, THEY BEGAN TO BE INDIGNANT WITH JAMES AND JOHN. JESUS CALLED THEM OVER AND SAID TO THEM, YOU KNOW THAT THOSE WHO ARE REGARDED AS RULERS OF THE GENTILES LORD IT OVER THEM, AND THOSE IN HIGH POSITIONS ACT AS TYRANTS OVER THEM, BUT IT IS NOT SO AMONG YOU. ON THE CONTRARY, WHOEVER WANTS TO BECOME GREAT AMONG YOU WILL BE YOUR SERVANT, AND WHOEVER WANTS TO BE FIRST AMONG YOU WILL BE A SLAVE TO ALL. FOR EVEN THE SON OF MAN DID NOT COME TO BE SERVED, BUT TO SERVE, AND TO GIVE HIS LIFE AS A RANSOM FOR MANY. THE SONS OF THUNDER, AS WE PUT IN YOUR NOTES, THE SONS OF THUNDER JUST DON'T KNOW WHAT THEY ARE ASKING. BY THE WAY, JESUS GAVE THIS NICKNAME TO JAMES AND JOHN. HE CALLED THEM SONS OF THUNDER. I ESPECIALLY FIND THAT FASCINATING Given that we are told they are thunderstruck here in this passage. Here is where he gave them the nickname back in Mark chapter 3. He appointed the 12. To Simon he gave the name Peter uh, which could mean rock or head depending on how you are using it. And to James the son of Zebedee and his brother John he gave the name Boanages uh, who had his sons of thunder. So these two thunderous young men asked to be Jesus' right hand men or one of them apparently has been listening to Vance Joy because he asked to be the left-hand man. Sorry. Anyway, seriously, here is what they thought they were asking. They were asking to be in the positions of highest acclaim in Messiah's kingdom. Let me explain what they were, they were thinking uh, just a few decades after this. Here is the best way I think to explain this. Only A FEW DECADES AFTER THIS OCCURRED THERE WAS A a JEWISH GUY, A BRILLIANT WRITER NAMED JOSEPHUS WHO WAS ACTUALLY ADOPTED BY THE EMPEROR uh, OF ROME AND HE WROTE THIS IN HIS BOOK THE ANTIQUITIES OF THE JEWS, IN A ROYAL COURT THE HIGHEST ASSIGNED POSITION IS TO SIT AT THE EMPEROR'S RIGHT, THE NEXT HIGHEST PLACE IS TO BE ON HIS DIRECT LEFT, CLOSE QUOTE. SO JAMES AND JOHN ARE ASKING TO BE NUMBER TWO AND NUMBER THREE IN MESSIAH'S KINGDOM. Now, the cool thing is these thunderstruck sons of thunder are showing they, they do at least still trust that Jesus will establish his kingdom. I mean, don't miss that. That's pretty cool. At least they are expressing belief that Jesus is indeed the true emperor. But don't get too excited about their faith here either. Matthew tells us they actually posed this question through their mom. True story, you just thought helicopter parenting was new. Um, Matthew chapter 20, then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her son. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request? He asked. She replied, in your kingdom please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right, the other on your left. Wow. Hiding behind mommy screams that you really aren't ready to take the burden of leadership. And, I, and really that's not the most distressing part. The most distressing thing is they completely miss what Jesus is doing. I know, I know. He has predicted his passion three times now very clearly. Suffering, death, resurrection. But they keep missing it. They keep missing what he's about. Look, look at his attempt to get through them here in this text. He uses a cup. Um, In in Hebrew literature cups were used in two big ways. One was in drinking in great news, and the other was drinking in the dregs of, of human sin, draining that kind of cup. In the context it's pretty clear Jesus means the latter. He is going to drink in the pain of human sin. The other image he uses is baptism. Baptism always signifies identification. Jesus is going to identify with humanity and face the ultimate human judgment. The ultimate human judgment is separation and death. That's what immersion in water signified. It, it signified great change, inside-out change that began had to include separation and death. He said, can you do that? And the boys glibly say, bring it on. We can handle that. And Jesus promises they will. Well, they're not going to identify human sin and, and drink in sin as a ransom the way Jesus will. But James will be the very first to die. He's the first apostle martyred. JOHN IS GOING TO BE SEPARATED. HE'S GOING TO BE EXILED ON A LONELY ROCK ALL ALONE UNTIL HE IS THE LAST APOSTLE TO DIE. GOD HAS A PERFECT PLAN. JAMES AND JOHN EVENTUALLY, HERE'S THE GOOD NEWS, THEY EVENTUALLY UNDERSTOOD THAT. THEY REALIZED PARTICIPATING IN HIS PLAN IS THE HIGHEST HONOR POSSIBLE. THEY HAD NO NEED TO WORRY ABOUT ACCLAIM, ABOUT SEATS OF HONOR, ABOUT WHAT PEOPLE CALL GREATNESS. BUT AT THIS STAGE IN MARK 10, THE DISCIPLES DON'T UNDERSTAND GREATNESS. Like Gentiles, these followers of Jesus are thinking of greatness in terms of wealth and influence and power and human honors. Those things can be fine. They can be fine. But they have almost nothing to do with true greatness. Greatness is found in imitating, in in following, in becoming like Jesus, Jesus, the ultimate servant. I think Pastor Glenn Edwards was on target. He he speculated this way. I I like this so much, I put it in your notes. Their ambition was to reach a place, finally, where they could live as passive receivers. Christ, having better things in mind for them than that, was eager for them to live lives of active engagement in his name and for the benefit of others. Close quote. In God's eyes, greatness is found in the active voice, a life of serving God directly and serving God through serving others. There's an old Eddie Murphy film, uh, Coming to America. Need to see all of you afterwards to talk about your viewing that you've seen coming to America. You laughed way too much. Anyway, um, this is not a recommended movie. And coming to America. The prince, Akim Jafar, is uh, this very, very, very ridiculously wealthy African prince, and everything is about He is the center of everything. He is living a passive life where everyone takes care of everything, and he's miserable. He's absolutely miserable. But then when he comes to America and eschews his wealth, at least for a time, he has to work. And he likes it. He starts learning about the joy of service and work and being engaged and working for other people and working for, for good. And he, he starts really having a great time. He's enjoying himself. He's happy. Gee, I wonder where the screenwriters, Art Buchwald and Eddie Murphy, got that idea. The disciples are just like Prince Hakim back in Africa. They don't yet understand greatness. Greatness is achieved by leading through service Years ago I was discussing all this with my friend Kevin East, and Kevin gave a brilliant summary that I wrote down. He said this, he said, leading comes through following. Leading comes through following. When we obediently follow Jesus, really listening to him and trusting him, then disciples of Christ are in a position to lead, close quote. And I do highly recommend his podcast, Following to Lead. More recently I was on the phone and I was interviewing somebody in another state uh, of the U.S., and uh, and I was asking questions in this interview concerning a, a candidate that we had here at the church for a leadership position. And I was talking to this person in another state about our candidate, and I want to show you what this person said. Said, this person being considered is the one I picture whenever I think about servant leadership. And then he elaborated. He said, he's in charge. HE DOES NOT DUCK RESPONSIBILITY, BUT THERE IS NOT A SINGLE MOMENT WHERE YOU DOUBT HIS COMMITMENT TO YOU AND YOUR SUCCESS. HE TRULY SLAVES AWAY TO MAKE SURE EVERYONE AROUND HIM IS BLESSED. CLOSE QUOTE. MAY THAT BE SAID OF EVERY ONE OF US. ALL GOD'S PEOPLE SAID? AMEN. Amen. NOW LET'S READ THE LAST PART, VERSE 46 OF THIS THOUGHT SECTION, VERSE 46-52. through THEY CAME TO JERICHO, and as he was leaving Jericho, Jericho just on the west side of the Jordan River, so they're on their way up elevation to Jerusalem. As he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many warned him to keep quiet, but he was crying out all the more, have mercy on me, son of David. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man and said to him, have courage, get up, he's calling for you. He threw off his coat, jumped up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus answered him, what do you want me to do for you? Rahboni, the blind man said to him, I want to see. Jesus said to him, go, your faith has saved you. Immediately he could see and began to follow Jesus on the road. This is such a fantastic contrast. Look at this, unlike the disciples, Bartimaeus sees clearly Even while he's still blind. By the way, that's the headline on the right side of our notes. Bartimaeus sees clearly. Whereas the disciples don't grasp the resurrection, Bartimaeus does. He understands prophecy. First thing, Bartimaeus understands Jesus in relation to David and the Davidic covenant. You see God had repeatedly expressed to David uh, a a subsection of his great covenant of grace with Abraham. Let, Let me show you the part of the Davidic covenant that is germane to this situation. God said to David, an offspring of His, of David's will sit enthroned in Jerusalem and rule as Messiah forever. He told David that he will establish, this Messiah will establish a physical kingdom for Jews and that he will rule an eternal perfect Perfect government for all of the world. You can look at that in 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles. All right? That's what Bartimaeus means when he addresses Jesus as son of David. Now, the disciples also grasp this. They get the Davidic covenant. That's why they're fighting over positions of authority in the kingdom to come. But Bartimaeus seems to understand more. Remember that charged political climate? Everything was so tense. People are hushing the blind guy because they know that Jesus' claims of Messiahship are the main reason that the leaders want to kill him. Bart doesn't care. He just keeps telling the truth Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the son of David. I am sinful. I am not worthy of you who are God. So I beg for mercy loudly. And there may be even more to Bartimaeus' repeated declarations. I want you to look at this. Look up here Psalm 16. David said this in Psalm 16. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety, for you will not leave my soul among the dead. That's the Hebrew word sheol. Or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Now, Bartimaeus may have insight here that others around him lacked. Let me give you a little history here. Most Jewish commentators, who, who all the rabbis who wrote about Psalm 16, they reasoned that David is talking about David himself here, that, that David will not remain in the grave. Because of his trust in Yahweh, David will be granted a perfect body through Messiah to live in God's presence forever. That's great. But think, Jesus has just been describing his death and his coming resurrection, death and resurrection. He's just done it over and over and over. And this guy Bartimaeus keeps calling Jesus son of David. It seems possible to me that Bartimaeus was noting that David didn't just describe himself in Psalm 16. He was also alluding to Messiah, his ultimate offspring, Jesus. And by the way, that is exactly what Peter would later preach. Acts chapter two, after Jesus' resurrection, right? Peter says this about the son of David. Acts chapter two, dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died (coughs) and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. Uh, You and I went and saw it, didn't we? We were in we were in Jerusalem, but he was a prophet. And he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future. He's talking about Psalm 16 here. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. I imagine Bartimaeus in the crowd, that Pentecost saying, Amen! Amen! I taught him that. Yeah. I mean, who knows? But... It, it's for sure that I, I don't know for certain that Bartimaeus is referring to Jesus' fulfillment of Psalm 16, but in light of Acts chapter 2, it sure is likely. Regardless, Bartimaeus saw Jesus for who he is. He is Messiah, he is fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. By Acts chapter 2, Peter finally caught up. What about me? What about you? What would change if we saw life through the lens of biblical prophecy? I'm, I'M NOT TALKING ABOUT WEIRD NEWSPAPER EXEGESIS WHERE PEOPLE GRAB EVERY HEADLINE AND SAY, OH, MY GOODNESS, LOOK, THIS HAS TO BE THE FULFILLMENT OF SOME, pr- that, THAT'S ABSURD. I MEAN GENUINELY READING THE OLD TESTAMENT AND NEW TESTAMENT PROPHECIES AND LETTING THEM INFORM MY HEART. WHAT WOULD CHANGE? I'LL TELL YOU ONE THING, I LOOK AT PSALM 16 AND I KNOW I WOULD WORRY A LOT LESS ABOUT DEATH. I WORRY A LOT LESS ABOUT DEATH IF I REALLY LET THAT PROPHECY INFORM MY THINKING as one who is in Christ in Messiah with with prophecy in mind like this i might think a whole lot less about celebrities and a whole lot more about jesus since he is the ultimate fulfillment of everything what about you think what would change today if you started looking at life through prophecy the way bartimaeus does bartimaeus also understands that jesus is lord he seems to apprehend the Lordship of Messiah like very few people do in the Gospels. Notice Bartimaeus gets asked the exact same question that Jesus had posed to James and John. But Bartimaeus wouldn't dream of asking for a position of honor. Catch the verbs. Look at the verbs. He threw off. He jumped up. He was excited and expected. In fact this throwing off of his outer cloak this is a foreshadowing of what is going to happen when Jesus enters Jerusalem. There is going to be a big crowd there that is going to line the roadway with their cloaks. That is something you only did for royalty. While the 12 disciples are still blind to who Jesus really is, fully is, Bartimaeus sees exactly who he is. He is the Lord. That's what Rabboni means. Rabboni means, my Lord who teaches me. It's a very intimate term. I want you to go back to Psalm 16. Now, I don't know whether for certain whether Bartimaeus was alluding to verses 9 through 11, but it appears almost certain that he was referencing this part of David's song. I want us to read verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 16. Uh, you join me on the underlined text. I will bless the Lord who counsels me, even at night when my thoughts trouble me. I will always let the Lord guide me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. THIS MAN WHO LIVED IN CONTINUAL NIGHT KNEW WHERE TO GO FOR counsel, RABBONI. HE ISN'T SHAKEN, EVEN BY BLINDNESS, BECAUSE HE LEARNS FROM THE LORD WHO GUIDES HIM. BY THE WAY, MARK LOVES THIS KIND OF HUMOR. THE MAN WHO ALREADY SEES ASKS FOR SIGHT, AND HIS REQUEST IS GRANTED IN EVERY WAY. WHAT WOULD CHANGE IF I SAW LIKE THAT? WHAT IF I FILLED MY BLIND EYES WITH RABBONI? my Lord who teaches me. You know, earlier in Mark, we learned from Peter, there's, there's really only two choices. Every single moment in life, there are really only two choices. I can live knowing Jesus is who he is, the Lord, or I can live with my mindset on earthly things. That's it. It's a very binary issue. Every moment of day, of every day. So, so Peter, Mark chapter eight is asked by Jesus, who do, who, do you, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are Messiah. And for that he's praised. But then just a few seconds later, by the way, it was when Jesus the first time mentioned his coming passion. It was when Jesus talked about his death and resurrection. Jesus did that, and Peter takes Jesus aside and starts dressing down the Lord. He starts telling him off how wrong he is and how he did, this is not how you build a kingdom. What a Look at what happens, verse 33, turning around, looking at his disciples, he, Jesus rebuked Peter, said, get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns but human concerns. Look at the contrast every moment. Maybe you and I, if we thought all the time about how Jesus really is Lord and didn't try to boss Him quite so much. Maybe if we thought about how He is the King and He will establish His kingdom, maybe then we would have our minds filled a whole lot less with worry. And be struggling much less with human concerns. Thirdly, Bartimaeus understands trust. Do you notice in the passage, Jesus doesn't even mention healing? That's implied. It's implied in the scene. By the way, it's also implied in the Greek uh, verb used here for saved. It implies physical healing and saving. But healing's not the main thing. The, the Lord highlights Bartimaeus's faith. This fellow trusts Jesus, the Lord, the Messiah, the Son of David. Eyesight's just extra, that's superfluous. Bart is saved for eternity because he could truly see with eyes of faith, and thus the blind, the blind beggar becomes the living embodiment of trust in God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. This, this is, Bartimaeus is Hebrews 11:1 in the flesh. Read with me, Hebrews 11:1 altogether. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. What would change if I saw like that? if I filled my eyes with faith? Martin Luther had a great answer to that. I want you to look at his statement. It is there in your notes. Um, this is from his collected writings. This is actually three letters of his cobbled together, but it is well done. Uh, Luther wrote this, if someone could believe with a certain and constant faith and could understand the magnitude of it all that he is the son and heir of God, he could regard all the power and wealth of all the kingdoms of the world as filth and refuse. IN COMPARISON WITH HIS HEAVENLY INHERITANCE. WHATEVER THE WORLD HAS that is SUBLIME AND GLORIOUS WOULD MAKE HIM SICK, HE WENT ON. IF WE COULD GRASP AND BELIEVE FOR A CERTAINTY THAT GOD IS OUR FATHER AND THAT WE ARE HIS SONS AND HEIRS, THE WORLD WOULD IMMEDIATELY SEEM VILE TO US WITH EVERYTHING IT REGARDS AS PRECIOUS SUCH AS RIGHTEOUSNESS, WISDOM, KINGDOMS, POWER, CROWNS, GOLD, GLORY, RICHES, PLEASURE, AND THE LIKE. THIS IS BRILLIANT. WE WOULD NOT ATTACH OUR HEARTS SO FIRMLY TO PHYSICAL THINGS THAT THEIR PRESENCE WOULD GIVE US CONFIDENCE AND THEIR REMOVAL WOULD PRODUCE DEJECTION AND EVEN DESPAIR, CLOSE QUOTE. WHAT WOULD CHANGE IF I FILLED MY EYES WITH TRUST IN CHRIST? EVERYTHING, EVERYTHING WOULD CHANGE. 500 years after Luther, a seminary professor named David Brionis said this, he was commenting on Luther's letters, he said, Luther describes the way of joy, peace, satisfaction, humility, gratitude, and the like. But one must think counter-culturally to arrive at these things, we must grasp and believe, that quote from Luther, that God is our Father in Christ, and we are His children. All God's people said, as John would later write, called children of God, and such we are. When we focus on prophecy, on the lordship of Jesus, when we focus on trusting him, it does not make us worthless here on earth. (laughs) It actually makes us more effective and more engaged, not only for eternity, but in the here and now. And that's the lesson that's contained in the very last clause in our text. Look at the last clause. He began to follow Jesus on the road. Bartimaeus understands discipleship. What did he do immediately after he got physical sight? What did he do? He followed Jesus. And that's what discipleship means, it means to follow the master. The set aside 12 disciples, they were afraid. They were thunderstruck about the idea of going up to Jerusalem. But this son of Timaeus, look at him, he doesn't even ask for an invitation. He just runs after Messiah. He is not afraid. Remember the climate in which this is happening. He is not afraid to be known as a Jesus follower, even in this heated political situation where the most powerful people hate Jesus. What would change if I did that? What would be different in my life if right now I decided to follow Jesus no matter what? Whatever road I'm on, Whatever earthly things God has put me to live in, whatever job, community, family, etc., I can follow Jesus on that road. And if I do so, think, what, what would be different? I'd like you to think of just one difference in your life. If you really followed Jesus on your road, what would be different? Keep that in mind and let's pray about it. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for myself. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for the conviction and the change that is inherent in Bartimaeus. What a challenge he is to us. Lord, I I pray for what he he brings to me to see through prophecy, not as some kind of weird control game or sensationalism, but because I can actually share the mind of God and rejoice in what you're doing and will do. Your lordship not a genie to be bossed around by me, but the Son of Man, the Messiah. Lord, what changes if I trust you, if I follow you on my road? (laughs) It's so funny. We we lie to ourselves and we pretend that um, that if we do all those things, if we were like Bartimaeus, we won't be effective uh, here and now. And it's so hilarious. It's the exact opposite. Lord, I beg you that you will change us and change me through prophecy and lordship and discipleship and trust. By the way, speaking of trust, Lord, I pray for anybody, anybody who is studying with us here or around the world that if they have never trusted Jesus, they will do so right now. Lord, I pray they will recognize that you You, Jesus, willingly walked up that road to Jerusalem knowing what you were doing on purpose to give up your life because as as the God-man, as the Son of Man, fully God, fully human, you you were the only one who could pay the price. You you paid for our sin. You drank that cup. You were baptized for that and offered yourself as a ransom. We praise you. We thank you for that. AND I PRAY THAT YOU WILL DRAW PEOPLE TO TRUST YOU AND YOU ALONE FOR THEIR RELATIONSHIP WITH GOD FOREVER. HELP THEM GET RID OF THE MATERIALIST NONSENSE MINDSET THAT WE, <laughs> THAT'S SO EASY TO DISPROVE BUT WE FALL INTO, that, THAT THERE IS NO SUCH THING AS ETERNITY AND ALL THE JUNK THAT WE HAVE AROUND US AND IN US. HELP THEM GET RID OF SELF-RIGHTEOUSNESS, WHICH IS RAMPANT IN HUMANS AND IS EVEN PRAISED TODAY. Help us to approach you as Bartimaeus did. Have mercy on me, son of David. Friend, if you just trusted Jesus as Savior, if you're if you're online with us live, make sure you say something to your host. Let them interact with you. If you're, if you're. Um, studying with us through podcast or something later, be sure to send me a note. If you're in the auditorium, raise your hand right now. Look up at me. Boldly follow Jesus, whom you have trusted. Good, good for you. Father, I pray for all these believers in Jesus, brand new and old, that you will help us follow. In Jesus' name, amen.